Welcome to Las Vegas, a desert city 2,700 miles from the Hawaiian Islands. Is this your guys' car? Can I take a picture of you guys in front of it? Oh, yeah? Yeah? A glittering metropolis known for its casinos, nightlife, luxury hotels, flashy cars, and native Hawaiians? Where are you guys from? Uh, well, I just moved here. You just um, moved here? Two months ago. From where? Oahu. Where? where? Kalihi. Kalihi? Yeah. Did you go to Farrington? No. Oh. I went to Kapolei. I went to Kapolei. Bro? Yeah, 2011. When did you graduate? Oh, I just graduated. Oh, that's awesome. Vegas is home to a growing native Hawaiian community. There are so many Hawaiians in Las Vegas that the city is known as Hawaii's ninth oh, island. <laughs> I'm Tiana, Tiana Saavedra. Where are you from? I'm from the Big Island. Why'd you move down? It's just so expensive, you know, as much as we love home, Big Island will always be home. We just couldn't do it. Um, I like, just found out I was pregnant. Almost half of all native Hawaiians now live outside of Hawaii. It's a staggering number that raises questions about what Hawaii will be like in coming years and how Native Hawaiians will carry their islands with them to far-flung places. Turns out these are questions that go back centuries, and they're part of Hawaii and American history that few people have heard. Until now. I was stunned that Hawaiians were in the Civil War. How can this be? Never heard that story before. This, this is a history that had completely been ignored. Hawaiians formed alliances with American Indians, largely because they were both racialized in the same way as non-white people. It was best for us to seek our future there in California, and so that was our diaspora. Native Hawaiians abroad can rightfully be understood as economic refugees from an economy that is skewed towards tourism. It's always in my heart to return to my homeland. But there's a reality that you can't live there. From Honolulu Civil Beat, this is Offshore, stories from Hawaii. I'm Ku'u Ka'uanoe. You're listening to the first episode of season four, Far From Home. We're doing things a little differently this season. Jessica Terrell is still with Offshore. She's my editor, and she's doing a lot of writing and producing for these episodes. But I'm going to be taking over narrating this season, in part because this issue is really important to me. I'm a journalist at Civil Beat. I'm also Native Hawaiian. And I have a lot of questions about why people are leaving. Over the course of six episodes, Jess and I are going to take a deep dive into the Hawaiian diaspora. We're going to share some fascinating and surprising stories from history and find out why so many Native Hawaiians are leaving the islands today. These episodes are going to take us from the 18th century to the 21st, from a Civil War ship to the streets of Sin City. We're going to be laying out this season like a collection of short stories. Each chapter is its own standalone piece, but together they reveal something much bigger. Because we aren't covering one individual story or person all the way through this season, we wanted to give you an introduction to why this collection of stories matters and why telling these stories is so important to me in ways I didn't fully realize when we started this project. I do want to try the guava cream cheese. What else questions? Why don't, you want, why don't you want to leave? I already know why you don't want to leave, though. I was always scared to leave. I'm having dinner with my friends, and this conversation you're hearing, it comes up a lot. Because we all think about moving away. 
And we all hear things from friends about how much better it would be on the mainland and why they've moved away. Up in the mainland, like waitresses can have freaking five bedroom houses. I can barely afford my one bedroom apartment. Like it's it's just easier there. I'd say half the people I went to high school with have moved to the mainland in the eight years since graduation. And that worries me. And not just because of social media envy. You know, seeing people on your timeline starting fancy jobs and buying houses. But because it makes me worry about what my community will be like when I get older. I grew up in Waimanalo on Hawaiian homesteads with my grandma and my mom and my brother. Hawaiian homesteads are areas of land set aside for Native Hawaiians. We lived in the uh, Hawaiian homes. That's my brother, Raven. Growing up on the homestead, surrounded by Native Hawaiians, it helped us feel Hawaiian. There's a Hawaiian. There's a Hawaiian. I'm a Hawaiian. We're all Hawaiian. There's all of us everywhere, and it's so cool. Of course, our neighbors are fantastic. They're so nice. And that's what I figured in my head, like, Hawaiian people are nice people. We're nice people. Riding my bike around town, going to the beach with my cousins, that sense of community is a part of what I worry about losing. I think about when I'm older, right? And I'm living on Hawaiian homes, and I'm looking at my neighbors. Am I going to know them? Or will they be strangers? A lot of people say that it's too expensive here, but part of me knows that that's not the entire story. What makes you so disconnected from this special place that you feel like you could be okay living anywhere else? And how do you hold on to your culture away from Hawaii? These questions, they aren't new. Leaving Hawaii and figuring out what it means to be Hawaiian away from home, people have been grappling with this for centuries. To understand why people are leaving now, I think we need to look at why people have left before. Just so you know, even in Hawaii, you don't learn about these stories as a kid. Take the arrival of Captain Cook in 1778. It's one of the few stories people on the mainland know about this place. When you learn about it in school, it's all about Cook. He's the only guy that matters. He's the explorer. But that's not the full story. Cook is exploring the Pacific for the advantage of the British Empire. And he happens across Hawaii. That's David Chang. He's a professor at the University of Minnesota. He's also part of the Hawaiian diaspora. His family is native Hawaiian, but he was born and raised in Wisconsin. Fishermen were off the coast fishing. They said, this is an important historical event. I need to do this properly. The fishermen see these ships and think, this is a big deal. Let's go. So they talk to their leaders, And they don't wait to see what the ship is going to do. They paddle out and explore. They approach them not with chaotic dishevelment, not with pure wonder, though clearly this was a wondrous kind of a thing, but they approached it from a solid Hawaiian basis of dealing with somebody who's coming from afar. We have to point out here, though, that while we know the name of Cook and his first mate and second mate, nobody knows the name of the first Hawaiian to step foot on a Western ship. We may not always know the name of that person, but it's important to know that our historical account is loaded, just like the dice are loaded in a game that is crooked. This is a problem we are going to keep running up against this season. 
Because the historical records for some of these amazing stories, they're lacking. Europeans immediately seized upon Hawaii as important because Hawaii was a major archipelago that was rich in agricultural products, therefore rich in food, rich in water, rich in cordage, all this stuff that you needed if you were going to sail across the ocean. So immediately, Europeans were like, that's the place. More Europeans start stopping in Hawaii on their Pacific voyages. And as soon as they do, I mean, just a few years after Cook's first visit... Kanaka were getting on ships and going overseas. Nine years after Cook's first visit, a group of Hawaiians paddled out to an English ship called the Imperial Eagle, which was anchored off the Big Island. The Hawaiians boarded the ship to trade with the sailors, swapping coconuts and sweet potatoes for English goods. When the group climbed into their canoes to paddle home, one woman stayed behind. She stood on the deck and refused to leave. We don't know much about her, but we know that she stayed on a foreign ship full of strangers who did not speak her language, determined to sail to a land she knew nothing about. The ship's captain recorded her name as Winnie or Whiny, but that wasn't her real name. In this episode, we're going to follow David Chang's lead and call her Kavahine, the woman. The woman who sailed off into the unknown. Kavahine is one of the earliest recorded Hawaiians to leave Hawaii on a Western ship. She stayed aboard the Imperial Eagle as a maidservant to the captain's wife. She journeyed east across the Pacific to what is now Vancouver, an important stop in the fur trade. Then back across the Pacific to China and the Portuguese-occupied city of Macau. Kavahine wasn't the only Hawaiian looking to explore foreign lands in the late 1700s. There were throngs of Kanaka who were asking to go. I think it was to see what was there. (laughs) I think it was to explore this. This was clearly a dramatically different thing. It was exciting. Get on that ship. Find out what's out there. What was out there? To the east, there was the country of Nuchanuls, known by the British as Vancouver. There were rocky coastlines and evergreen forests and cold Pacific waters, so much colder and darker than the ocean around Hawaii. There were sea otters, creatures whose pelts would attract settlers and traders from all over Europe. And there were people who looked more like Kavahine than the white sailors on the ship. Indigenous people whose struggles with colonization would soon be shared by Hawaiians back home. In Macau, there were stone roads and giant churches and a glimpse of two cultures that would soon come to Hawaii. Chinese and Portuguese who would come to toil on newly formed sugar plantations. And in Macau, there was Ka'iana. Ka'iana was a high-ranking chief from Kauai, who also left the islands on a British ship to see what lay beyond Hawaii's shores. He was educated, he was powerful, and he did not travel as a servant. He was a companion, an ikane, to British Captain John Mears. A very plausible translation of ikane is uh, a same-sex friend and intimate companion who very likely was a sexual partner. Ikane, the way Chang explains it, kind of means Ka'iana wears the pants in the relationship. 
I don't doubt that Mears understood himself to be in a superior position towards every brown-skinned person anywhere in the world that he encountered, including Katyana. But we don't have to take his word for it. Katyana, he would certainly have understood himself to be nobody's fool in this. Katyana was a politician. He's going to end up playing a role in the struggle to unite the Hawaiian Islands as one kingdom. And it's smart for a politician to gain knowledge. These trips they're going to make Ka'iana more powerful. But even though he may have left behind some of his chiefly privileges to board Mir's ship, he was traveling on his own terms. He was over six feet tall, and though he became well-versed in English customs and often donned English suits, he also strutted through Macau in a feathered cloak, spear in hand. Kavahine and Kaiana traveled separately on ships that both ended up in Macau at the same time. And so they both had different situations, but they were encountering this extraordinary world of their own volition, for their own purposes. And they became friends, which is a big deal because he was a nobleman and she was a commoner, and Hawaii was really socially separated at the time. These are two people who would never have gotten to know each other back home. But in 1788, Kaiana and Kavahine boarded a ship to go home together. Kavahine took ill. She died aboard ships off what is now the Philippines and was buried at sea. And this, this was really heartbreaking for Kaiana. He grieved terribly, so much so that he felt ill. And Mears was worried that he too would die. Does this tell us something about their relationship and what this trip meant to them? He was in a Portuguese colony at the edges of the Chinese Empire with a bunch of Englishmen and all these other foreigners. And here is a woman who can understand his language. They can speak to each other. So I do wonder if that helped him to conceive of himself and herself having a bond of what we would now call Hawaiianness, that set them a little bit different from the rest of the world and created a tie. These were the first Hawaiians to leave, and in some ways, leaving the islands really showed them what it means to be Hawaiian in a way they wouldn't have felt at home. Forming a sense of Hawaiian identity, defining what it means to be Hawaiian, it's something I think about a lot. Here's a conversation I had with my editor, Jess, when I first started on this project. It got a lot more emotional than I expected. So I thought maybe we'd start out just because a lot of this season is about identity mm-hmm. by chatting a little bit about um, how you perceive your identity. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I feel like I'm in this age where like you try to figure out your identity, you know, and like who you are. I knew that I was Native Hawaiian and I really like identified as that, but I don't think I practiced it as much as I thought that I did when I was a kid. When you're saying like practice your culture, I guess what that means to you or what you think of the term like cultural practitioner. Yeah, when you're thinking about like what it means to be Native Hawaiian, you kind of think of what it means to be traditionally Native Hawaiian. So people usually like express that in like speaking olelo and dancing hula and going to the lo'i and stuff like that. Um... All of my cousins and in my family, they all danced hula for the same halal. And, like, I would try to do it, but I didn't really like it as much as, like, dancing hip-hop. I think that has a lot to do with that identity question, right? Because, like, 
I identify as Native Hawaiian. Like, I'll check the box on the census, you know? But, like, am I as Native Hawaiian as other people? And I wonder if other people, like, question that, too. Am I, like, Native Hawaiian enough? Growing up, I really didn't feel like I was Native Hawaiian enough, and I feel like that's something that's really stuck with me now. It's something that I think about a lot, for sure. Sorry. It's okay. Now that I think about it, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad that I didn't realize that, like, earlier. We're just going to cut all of this because I sound sad. It's okay. We can cut whatever you want. <laughs> um, but I think that there's probably a lot more people out there who feel that way than you think there are. And yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, one of the things that I scribbled down when you were talking was the question that you asked yourself of, am I Native Hawaiian enough? And I feel like that's a question that we should find out if other people ask themselves because I think there are probably a lot of people who struggle with that. It would be a good thing to talk about. So that's what I'm going to do this season. I'm going to dig into why Hawaiians are leaving Hawaii today. And I'm going to talk to people about their sense of identity, about what it means to be Hawaiian, and how people figure that out for themselves, here and on the mainland. There's that sense of longing, a sense of wanting to know who you are and where you belong. You left Hawaii, so you're not really as Hawaiian because you don't live here. I don't know about my history. I don't know the language. That's where the story of abroad can be painful. Hey, Hawaii ao mau amau. We're always Hawaiian, wherever we go. You've been listening to Offshore, stories from Hawaii. I'm Ku'u Ka'uanoe. Offshore is produced by Honolulu Civil Beat, a nonprofit news organization dedicated to building an informed community with news you can trust. You can find other seasons of Offshore at offshorepodcast.org. Offshore's executive producer is Patty Epler. Our producers are Jessica Terrell and April Estrelon. Our associate producer is Claire Caulfield. Our engineer this season is Jackie Sojiko. Thanks for listening.